Faith Matters Podcast. I'm your host, John Morgan. Uh, this is the podcast for Multi-Faith Matters, and today I am privileged to have David Frankfurter as my guest, and I'm going to read his bio. David Frankfurter holds the William Goodwin Aurelio Chair of the Appreciation of Scripture at Boston University. He joined the faculty of Boston University in the fall of 2010, a scholar of ancient Mediterranean religions with specialties in Jewish and Christian apocalyptic literature, magical texts, popular religion, and Egypt in the Roman and late antique periods. Frankfurter's particular interests revolve around theoretical issues like the place of magic and religion, the relationship of religion and violence, the nature of Christianization, and the representation of evil in culture. We're going to get some of that, that last bit there in our conversation today. He teaches courses on Western religions, comparative religions, Jewish and Christian apocalyptic literature, and the documents of early Christianity, including extra-canonical sources, magical texts, and saints' lives. He's the author of a number of publications, and as I said a moment ago, in this podcast, we will discuss his book, Evil Incarnate, Rumors of Demonic Conspiracy and Satanic Abuse in History, and that's put out by Princeton University Press, and it came out out, in 2006. Um, That book discusses the ways that cultures and religious movements envision evil as an active personified force. He's also uh, done a number of things. I've had to cut back his extensive biography in the interest of time, but he edited the volume uh, Pilgrimage and Holy Place in Late uh, Antique Egypt and other things. This book won the American Academy of Religions Award for Excellence in the study of religion in the category of historical and analytic descriptive categories. So, Dr. Frankfurter, I am uh, privileged to have you here. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Your book, Evil Incarnate, caught my eye um, for a number of reasons. For a number of years, um, I've been interested in how Christians, particularly conservative evangelicals in America, uh, process and develop and draw upon the idea of the evil other uh, in other religious traditions, and particularly how uh, this is then connected to the, the idea of Satan and demonic forces and that kind of a thing. And uh, so one of the questions I have is, how did this particular topic of this book, how did it get on your personal and academic radar of interest to pursue? Well, um, there were t- there were two things. The, f- the, the main one was there, use- there arose in, I would say the late 80s, stories by journalists about very kind of regular people working in childcare centers across the country who on the basis of children's testimony about weird satanic rituals were sent away to prison, I mean, convicted by juries with no evidence but children's testimony uh, for uh, sometimes like several lifetimes. And I was very confused as to how district attorneys, juries, people in the, in the neighborhood, uh, social workers were buying into stories that for those of us with the least little bit of understanding of world history knew had arisen through time and had never taken place. So I was, 
my, I, I first got into it because of, I guess, the issue of the injustice of, of how these stories were rising again and, and, and getting people convicted. Um, as I started to look into it more, I became interested in both how exactly do you compare across time? Like we know there were witch allegations in the early modern period in Europe, you know, what we call the you know, burning time to the witch hunts. Well, what exactly did people believe there? Um, what did people think? Who was orchestrating those? How does that compare to the, the modern examples? Another thing that was coming up at the same time were the unearthing of so-called repressed memories. And so there were quite a number of therapists, social workers, psychiatrists across the country who were, who believed that there were satanic cults out there and were eliciting, sometimes through hypnosis, memories in their patients um, of having been part of satanic rituals. Um, at, the at this time, uh, my wife was in clinical psychology graduate school and I was meeting people through her who either believed this or had seen patients who were claiming this. So it was coming up quite close to me in, in many respects. So I really felt like this is a, a very interesting situation where um, therapists, social workers, district attorneys, um, victim advocates from a completely secular domain. These are not evangelical Christians. These are not people who, who have an, a special interest in Satan. Satan. Um, were buying into stories that had been around in Western culture since for 2000 years. So that's, that's what motivated the book. The book took the shape it did because I was interested in how do you make the comparison across, across time? What was, what was taking place in the 90s? What was taking place in the early modern period? Yeah, your book is fascinating in that it, it draws upon that historical process and gives us a bigger picture and I hope that folks recognize that, that what you've talked about here, that this has real impact on people's lives, yes. um, including in the present. I remember a few years ago coming across the story of the West Memphis Three, mm -hmm. uh, three young teenagers uh, in the South who uh, uh, were imprisoned uh, for life. I think at least one of them was on death row for the, the alleged satanic ritual murder of uh, three young boys. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I looked at it, there was no evidence for it. And it just, it looked like another e expression of satanic panics. And we'll be talking about that in a little bit. Mm -hmm. but, but even outside of the U.S., in, in Africa, you still have allegations of witchcraft and you have uh, women and children and so on that are, are put to death because of mm -hmm. this. So these ideas uh, have a long historical process, but they also play out in the real world. In, in chapter three of your book, um, you talk about the appeal of identifying evil and how certain people are identified as experts, whether they're self-identified or they come to be uh, understood as, as such. Can you sketch how did this develop in Christianity, for example, uh, not only in the past, but in, in, how does this continue to play out in Christianity, the modern period, and, and even outside of it? Are there secular experts in, in evil in pop culture? Um, well, the... the the idea of the expert is, is actually a really interesting phenomenon. You get it in a lot of different cultures. Um, I would say that, um, uh, first of all, nobody is actually an expert on Satanists and nobody is actually an expert on, on uh, demons. 
these are, are theological claims. Um, uh, the police officers who claim to be experts on Satanists, psycho psychologists who claim to be, they have gathered a little bit of information in order to bolster their own prestige. And what we find sociologically is that this happens in a lot of different cultures that people off, especially in Western cultures, they move from kind of prosaic professional roles like police officer, like district attorney, like victim advocate, like uh, social worker, prosaic professional roles. And they bolster their own importance in society as what we call moral entrepreneurs. And moral entrepreneurs are the figures in society who seed panics, who, who promote panics and often present themselves as being victimized by whatever strange groups there are out there, demons, Satanists, uh, witches, something like that. Um, and these figures can be very, very dangerous because they have a little bit of pre-existing uh, authority uh, as a social worker, for example, um, but they um, take on um, this uh, specialty in cults or Satanists, things like that, which they really don't know anything about. Um, no one really, no one really knows anything about Satanists because there really aren't any Satanists. There's a Church of Satan, but I don't even include that. Um, and um, in uh, in uh, early modern Europe for example, uh, the figures who, who gained credibility as witch finders. Um, these would be local or regional figures who would go into a town that was anxious about misfortune, their cows dying or something like that. And this figure would, be, would have a certain way of uh, divining who is a witch in the town and would set neighbors against neighbors and would um, claim all kinds of strange ways of discernment. Um, we actually have these kinds of, we have, we have this form of discernment with, uh, in Pentecostal exorcism ministries right now. There are people who, who have a quote unquote expertise in finding out who has a demon inside them. And I would include that kind of, that kind of expertise in evil. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I learned about how this works in expertise in Satanism by looking at how it works within the Pentecostal community in terms of identifying people who have demons in them. Um, there's a huge literature of identifying which demon might be inside somebody and, and what the history of the demons are and things like that. And th this, expertise, this expertise is very much um, concocted out of people's own desire for, for importance. And um, I would say that if anybody was the kind of the bad guy in my, in the book, Evil Incarnate, it would be these self-determined self experts in the identification of evil. It's kind of interesting to see, uh, tragic but interesting at the same time, to see you've got uh, how this plays out historically, in the contemporary period, but then there's pop culture. As you were talking, I'm reminded of, I think it came out in the 1960s, a horror film called The Conqueror Worm, also called The Witchfinder General, starring mm -hmm. Vincent Price. And he was, oh, he was 
an agent of the state and of the church, and his job was to go and find witches. And there's this scene you can find on YouTube, which illustrates exactly what you're talking about. There's this group of men and women that are allegedly witches, and they basically tie ropes to them and lower them into the water. And he tells them before they go down that if they drown, that will be evidence of their innocence. If they mm-hmm. swim away, that's evidence of their guilt, and they'll be put to death. Mm-hmm. So you have this, the, the, the poor victims who are, are basically, they're, they're condemned to die either way, mm-hmm. and they, uh, their fate is tied to someone who's an alleged uh, expert. And, right. You know. Yeah, and I would add to this, um, they have a function in society because they give people a sense of confidence. They do give people a sense of confidence that here is somebody who can give a language, a structure, a series of names to things that we're quite anxious about. And I would include this with, exorc- with exorcists as well. They give people a sense of confidence in situations where they may feel totally overwhelmed. Um, but the other thing that they do is in many ways, they dramatize through their own fear and their own expertise and their own gestures, how dangerous the other side is, how dangerous the Satanists are. Um, if I were uh, going to pretend to be a, a Satanism expert, I might say, I might tell a congregation, I got a, I got a letter from the Satanists the other day and, the, and this letter said, be careful when you walk outside. And, and I would kind of dramatize my own endangeredness as a way of, of showing them that I really have authority. And I'm really like a, a contender against the dark powers. Uh, would you tease out a little bit more uh, this concept of the witch finder, the monster hunter, in ways in which it has been expressed in political and religious contexts in more recent time periods, some other examples? Well, interestingly enough, I mean, I'm, I'll go to QAnon immediately here, right? right. Because because I actually don't see a lot of this going on in QAnon, and I think it's one one of the reasons that the uh, rumors of satanic ritual abuse and Satanism don't have as much immediate danger to society and to communities as this panic did in the night in the 1990s um you certainly have uh uh politicians who buy into QAnon satanism rumors and tweet it and uh from a from a um folklore perspective we would call them tradents they they pass on the stories they pass on the rumors but they are not the authorities the authority in QAnon was the Q, the, was Q, the person who was dropping these messages. And they were very, very arcane messages, as you know. Mm-hmm. So there was really no kind of um, that person is absolutely a Satanist and you should go to their house and they are taking your children. I mean, of course, Hillary Clinton is blamed for being a Satanist. All elite people are blamed for being a, a Satanist. But there was very little mobilization against Satanism. And this is what really struck me through it. Um, really, the only example people could, could look to was the Pizzagate story, the, the mm-hmm. guy who drove up from North Carolina with the AK-47 to, to expose satanic pedophilia in a pizza parlor. That was it. That was it for, for the entire time of the Trump administration. So 
here you don't really have these moral entrepreneurs, these Satanism experts. Um, you have it much more in various religious communities, because of course, one of the things that that religions do is they identify and digest what evil is, where it comes from, uh, what, how to name it, the relationship of Satan to God, things like that. And so in many ways, there is more, um, there is more frame, a, a better framework for being a specialist in the satanic if you are within a religious community. Uh, the, it's interesting as you look at, at how this has played out, not only in history in the past, but also how it continues in the more uh, contemporary period. You have certain figures, members of certain groups that seem to be the go-to groups for blaming for being involved in this alleged satanic conspiracy. Uh, Jews, um, members of a minority group, minority religious groups in, in a Christian majority culture like witches, pagans. Satanists, mm -hmm. this type of thing, and the behaviors that they are accused of participating in, cannibalism, pedophilia, human sacrifice. What is it about these uh, members of these minority groups and the practices that they're accused of that we continually go back to that, uh, mm -hmm. when, even in the face of a lack of evidence? Yeah, well, well, Jews are a kind of special case because um, as anyone who knows the history of Christianity or the scriptures knows um, Jews, the, existing, the existence of Jews past the time of Jesus and Paul has always been a thorn in the side of Christianity. It was a thorn in the side of the Catholic Church. And so um, it was incomprehensible why Jews continued. Um, but Jews be, took on the role of being kind of the anti-Christian. So uh, in the, uh, actually this really goes back to the, the 12th century was the first blood libel. And this was the story that Jews needed to use Christian children's blood for their Passover rituals. This, of course, is completely preposterous on numerous grounds, also that there was never any evidence. But the story just took off and kept on flourishing in different places in Germany and England and, and Russia up to the 20th century. Um, and the story served a lot of purposes. Um, one was to think about Jews as being a, a worldwide conspiracy. And conspiracies in the ancient and also the modern imagination are often expressed or symbolized through oaths and secret rituals. So this was the secret ritual that took place. Another thing that the blood libel did was it focused on the victim child. The victim child is one of the big themes in my book um, that people, um, focus on the, the brutalization, the stabbing, the sacrifice of the victim child. And this inflames them, but also it gives them a sense of, in Germany, hope, because this victim child becomes a new Christ, a new saint, um, far away from the Holy Land. And so whole shrines get built up and people make pilgrimage to them. So it's a, there's a very attractive idea that we have our little Jesus right in our Northern German town. Um, 
So, and then the other thing, of course, is that the blood libel, that is stabbing ch a child, taking his blood, mixing it with matzah, is of course a, a kind of inversion of the Eucharist, the Catholic Eucharist. So you see how the terrible stories about the other, especially the intimate other, Jewish communities in the Middle Ages and, and modern period, um, it served all these different functions. Now, when you get to other marginal groups, um, uh, many immigrants get blamed for, for, for things like this. Um, the idea that this group is stealing our child, stealing our children, endangering our children. What are they going to do with our children? That's the other thing. So our, our children become the kind of point of vulnerability when we're thinking about the other. And then we think more and we think, what will they do with our children? And that's when all these stories of slavery and kidnapping and cannibalism start coming up. Well, they're going to do it in a ritual to bond, uh, an ancient ritual that they've always needed to do. So these stories serve a lot of different purposes and they're horrible stories. Not a single one is even partially true, not at all, um, but they function in many ways and they attract so much attention from people. So I, I think you can, my two cents, I think you can see some of what you're saying, uh, for example, even in like the Harry Potter controversy and conservative mm -hmm. Christian circles, where the, the fear was that uh, the author of the, the novels was trying to seduce the minds of children and bring witchcraft and the occult. And there was yeah. a fear there. Um, so again, that, that child victim thing, I think, continually plays out. And, and I also think it's worth noting, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of this, that there are historically, for whatever reason, uh, witches, pagans, Satanists have been the go-to boogeymen for conservative Christians that are always closely associated with the Christian devil, even though uh, they don't believe in the existence of that. And so we perpetuate the stereotype. So I think our own stereotypes and misunderstood beliefs about the other uh, play into uh, some of the fears that, mm -hmm. that, that happen to arise. Yeah. And they, the, the fears of Satanists also are fears of a non-existent community. That's, that's the other thing. Um, the idea of these satanic cults, actually, I should, I should say that, and I talk about this uh, a little bit in the book, the idea of these satanic rituals and these Satanists is very much drawn from early Protestant ideas of the Catholic, of Catholic ritual. Um, uh, the, your, your audience will know that, of course, the Reformation focused on uh, authentic spiritual feelings in the individual and not so much ritual and more uh, faith and scripture. Mm -hmm. The Catholic Church was Catholic ritual was was imagined by the early Protestants as being repetitive, cold, mesmerizing or hypnotizing. Uh, it involved real sacrifices or blood in some form. There was a real caricature of Catholic ritual that uh, started kind of living in the unconscious Protestant imagination. And this is what came up in really the 19th century 
and took off in the satanic ritual abuse panic. And when you read the stories about what satanic rituals were like, remember there were no satanic rituals behind satanic ritual abuse. Um, all of them involve robes and altars and people in a kind of cold, uh, dissociated state, uh, doing violent things as if they had to. It's the absolute, absolute opposite of good religious ritual in a Protestant sense, and it's a caricature of what Catholic ritual is. If you are enjoying this podcast, please consider becoming a part by sharing on social media, clicking like, and visiting our patrons page and website donation page. You can find the links on the program notes and YouTube comments. Thank you for your partnership. Now back to the program. Well, you um, referred to it a little bit when we first started, the, the satanic panics of the mm-hmm. 80s and the early 90s. Uh, for those who may not be familiar with that, can you uh, summarize some of what that was about and what were the social and cultural forces and contexts that might have helped give rise to that? that it, and it seems to occasionally bubble up. I don't think we're seeing satanic panics now, but you mentioned, you know, it does show up a little bit in QAnon. So what yeah. was it What was it about back then, the 80s and 90s, and why does it keep bubbling up? Well, it was a real perfect storm back in the 80s, because I would say that the, the first thing that happened was in the 1970s, we had what I would call the, the discovery or rediscovery of domestic child sexual abuse. And I'm talking about real child sexual abuse. And um, this was not just a, a social workers or psychologists issue. This was a trauma to, to society and communities all across the country because it used to be, you know, don't let your child walk in that neighborhood at night because you might get kidnapped and abused or something like that. And suddenly therapists and social workers all across the country were, were finding uh, kids and adults not having recovered memories, but knowing that this happened to them. And so suddenly the, the family becomes a much more, let's say, dangerous thing. But this, this is the same time that um, women are going to work more and they're putting their children in childcare centers. So there's an awareness of evils in the family and there is a projection against the childcare center, which begins to embody all our anxieties about our children. Um, in this circumstance, overworked social workers, overworked psychologists and psychiatrists um, who are being just bombarded with these stories of child sexual abuse begin to be more receptive to the stories of Satanism, that, that these children, these girls were not abused simply by inappropriate fathers or uncles or something like that, but actually in ritual contexts. And this in a way just takes off both in uh, therapist's offices and in um, the stories that children are being co- uh, coached to tell in uh, childcare center scandals. Um, at the same time, I would add another, uh, another uh, element here. Uh, many evangelical Christian seminaries were beginning to start uh, clinical psychology programs. Clinical psychology programs 
that because they were evangelical Christian took seriously human evil and Satan in one form or another. Fuller, for example, began a clinical psychology program in the 80s. And so you have um, evangelical Christian therapists contributing to thinking about the evil of child sexual abuse in satanic or demonological terms. Um, so this begins to just simply spread and it comes to the, the assistant district attorneys who are interviewing the children when there is a rumor that there is sexual abuse at a childcare center. It begins to uh, percolate among uh, sexual abuse recovery groups. Um, it, it just becomes all of, and of course, then the media aspect is uh, the great Geraldo Rivera uh, two for two two hour specials that everybody in America watched, That's right. which if you watch now, they're very disjointed. But that one show linked uh, recovered memories in therapist offices, uh, the McMartin preschool uh, uh, allegations, and even Ozzy Osbourne, the right. rock singer. So everything was being brought together and there were books being written uh, that, that people were reading about recovering from child sexual, from satanic ritual abuse. It became very much part of the American and English and Australian and Dutch uh, worldview. Any thoughts on why it, can, why it pops up in little manifestations from time to time? I mean, I'm thinking even most recently, uh, I'm not a, a rap music fan myself, but little Nas, is that his name? he gathered some attention. He's, he's a very good marketer and yeah. he produced a music video where he drew upon the fears uh, of, uh, of Christians related yeah. to bad experiences with the church and his homosexuality. And he drew upon the figure of Satan and mm -hmm. then yeah. uh, subverted even that. And you had a number of Christians who came out and said, this is why we've got to take the country back where we're going to Satan. So again, this, this narrative, this idea of the, the evil satanic conspiracy out there that pops up in pop culture. Yeah. It seems like we keep going back to it for some reason. Well, I've seen, I've seen this for, for years, of course. Um, there's a, an early Rolling Stones album called the, their satanic majesty's request. Um, I kind of separate out the pop culture use of Satan and the, and Satan and Satanism. Mm -hmm. um, I view it as, I, I, I use I view it as a parody and I use and I use the word parody in a kind of critical sense. That is to say, they're not making fun of Satan, but they are drawing on cultural symbols mm -hmm. that make people afraid. And so it's it's um it's not making fun of them so much as saying this is what's really going on in your unconscious. This is what's really going what's really going on with your notion of evil. Um, some, one of the most interesting areas here is uh, goth subculture, which is very often youth and, and teens. Um, and, you know, a bunch of kids in a high school might dress in black and wear black lipstick and pentacles and things like that. And they're not actually Satanists, but in many ways they're, they're, they're saying to the world, um, you, you believe in evil, you treat us like pariahs. Let let us let us show you how um, how bad we really are. 
And so it's only in appearance that they that they that they dramatize this. I have a whole chapter on the what I call the performance of evil uh, in the book, and I talk about um, the um, mimetic parody of evil. And there I include uh, these goth subcultures. I include the Church of Satan and the contemporary Temple of Satan. I include. Uh, rock musicians like uh, Ozzy Osbourne and Marilyn Manson who exploit these symbols. And I don't, I didn't get to uh, Little Nas <laughs> because he's doing something a little bit differently. Uh, also it was long before him. But I think it's very interesting what the, what the role they play in society, not in keeping the fears alive, but in holding a mirror up to our fears of the satanic. That's, that's what their function is. And I guess I would say to your audience, it's imperative not to overreact to them because right. that, that is exactly what they are doing. They are in a way playing one side of a tennis game and they're inviting you onto the court. And right. the best thing is not to get on the court. Right. Now, unfortunately we come crashing onto the court. Right. And they're all too willing to jump <laughs> in. Uh, you mentioned QAnon and you said that uh, the satanic conspiracy wasn't a major part of it, but it certainly was there. And it mm -hmm. it's fascinating that QAnon movement even basically hijacked a hashtag, save our children, yeah. uh, picking up on this idea. Uh, the satanic panics of the past, there was no evidence to support it, and yet people were put in prison. Uh, in the contemporary period, you've got QAnon, you got a gentleman who takes an automatic weapon, goes storming into a pizza restaurant because he believes the what's posted on the internet by Q that uh, Democrats are are uh, sacrificing children and engaging in pedophilia. Again, no evidence he was arrested. It was just an empty closet. Any thoughts on why we're so willing to uh, huge numbers of people to believe these things, even though there's no evidence for it? These are very captivating stories. Um, the, uh, QAnon was, was a, uh, a hybrid of the kinds of stories you had back in the 80s and 90s because it involved uh, sacrificing the children to get some special chemical that, is ne that was needed to keep the elite alive. I can't remember what the name of the chemical was. It was, it was completely yes, nonsensical, right. but um, <laughs> the, 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 um, let's say that the point of QAnon was to point out the elite, the liberal elite, as being actually a conspiracy that is preying on ordinary people. But it was not so developed that people seemed to be in actual panic about their own children being victimized. There was a more of a kind of general statement. This is what Hillary Clinton does. This is what George Soros does. Um, and this is why it's so interesting that you didn't get a lot of mobilization against it. But the stories are captivating. They, they capture our fear for our children. They capture our uh, imagination of what groups might do if they got hold of our children, uh, either taking their blood or taking their organs or taking some chemical in their blood. Um, it, uh, it makes absolute divisions between us, the good people, and them, the bad people. So 
there's no ambiguity. It's like those people are bad because they do this, do this to children. Um, so the story had this, the story, the, the, the myth of, of evil, the myth of, uh, of, yeah, I guess the myth of, of evil ritual has an incredibly long life history because it captures things that, that bind our communities, that, that, uh, that distinguish our families, distinguish our identities, our religious identity, our family identity, procreation, our devotion to our children, all those issues get, get kind of captured in the inverse or the perverse in these stories. And I've done enough research looking at uh, human cognition and uh, the significance of emotion uh, rather than the rational part of our cognition. And once we're emotionally hooked, then the rational part starts looking for reasons to confirm what we've already assumed to be the case. So I think they're, the power of those stories just gets our emotion and it just, uh, we, we don't, contrary evidence can't exist for us at that point. So it's, uh, you know, an unfortunate situation. Um, it would seem that there are people in politics and religion that are willing to draw upon these stories, whether they're sincere or not, mm -hmm. uh, for their own uh, ends. And as we said, it has uh, ramifications or repercussions for people. Lives have been damaged uh, as a result. What are some of your thoughts about what we can do? How can we pause uh, in the face of these continuing allegations that are, are offered out there and perhaps think about it differently and respond differently? I guess the first thing I'd say is to have the confidence to be skeptical. Um, there is no evidence. You will be presented with evidence. You, but, but what the evidence is, is actually rumors. It's actually rumors or the concoction uh, or the, the um, exaggeration of evidence that you will read about on social media or something like that, or here or here in a, in a police report. Um, uh, but there is no evidence. There have never been satanic cults and there aren't satanic cults. Um, so having the confidence to be skeptical, to say, what are you actually looking at? Are you looking at a bunch of graffiti? Are you looking at a bunch of chicken bones? Um, somebody, somebody, uh, uh, left a dead black cat on your doorstep, um, to scare you. Um, does it take a, a, a Satanist to come up with a crazy thing like that? Mm -hmm. Or just like somebody who wants to scare you or a crazy person. So that's the first thing. Um, let actual crimes be actual crimes. There are kids who murder. There are adults who murder. There are adults who are crazy who murder um, and, uh, and, and may in court say, guess what? I'm Satan, man. You know, I'm exactly what you've always feared. This is what, what Charles Manson did. Charles Manson wasn't satanic at all. He never worshiped Satan. He thought he was the instrument of, of God at the end of, in the end of the world. But he stood up in court and said, I'm Satan. And so everybody has kind of grabbed hold of that as like, here's an example of a satanic, uh, a satanic killer. People do kill, um, but 
there aren't satanic cults that are doing that. So the first thing is, is um, confidence to be skeptical. And the second is avoid making broad connections. This, is, this was one of the things in the, uh, early, the early 90s, late 80s, that, that people were writing books, police officers were giving presentations that would draw together Charles Manson, the New York son of Sam Killer, uh, the satanic church, which has like a hundred members, um, all of them ex-Catholic and all good people, <laughs> um, youth, um, graffiti, uh, all kinds of things, pulling them together. And, you know, at the end of the evening, you know, there's some people who might think like, oh my God, you've, you've, you've given me this large connection there. Clearly there's satanic cults operating in our society. Don't make broad connections. That's the other thing. Take every case that you hear on its own terms. Be very self-critical. And um, when I say there are no satanic cults, um, this is what the FBI found. This is what psychiatrists found. This is what, what decent police officers have found. But there will always be people who, who present themselves as cult experts. And I would say... Be very careful of those people. Be very careful. Don't hire them. Don't listen to them. Um, they do not know what they're talking about. Yeah, I, I would point out there are academics who have made a career studying new religious movements. Those folks could be sought out, but rarely in right. popular media are those folks uh, uh, sought out. Um, as we draw our conversation to a close, uh, one final question. Uh, are there any other takeaways from your book that you would like listeners and viewers to take away? We'll include uh, a link to your book and hopefully folks will, will seek it out. What other takeaways would you like for that? Well, what, one of the kind of conclusions I make in, in the book is that um, the most evil things that people have done in history, the most violent uh, kind of mindless uh uh, uh, genocidal acts have been not in the service of Satan, but in the service of rooting out the satanic, the impure, the enemy, the other. And I mean, I'm talking like from, from uh, lynching in the South to the Holocaust to uh, the uh, Islamic State against the Yazidis in Syria, um, all of this, all of these horrific genocidal crimes have been um, a desire to destroy the other. And the other who you imagine as being a, uh, a, a deep danger to you, to your children, to uh, Maybe they, maybe you imagine them doing child sacrifice. Maybe you just imagine them polluting your society. But that's when we find the worst crimes. It's not at people doing, doing, uh, hailing Satan or something like that. It's, it's when people are going after the Satanists. So that, that would be my final takeaway for the book. I really appreciate uh, those words. One of the things we're trying to do here in the Multifaith Matters podcast is help conservative Christians who tend to have uh, a negative uh, set of feelings and perceptions about religious others to, to rethink that posture, uh, to come away with a more positive way. One can still vigorously disagree 
about religion and about politics, and yet still uh, view the other positively, relate uh, in neighborly kinds of ways. And one of the things we have to do is cut through the misunderstandings and the stereotypes. And unfortunately, uh, this satanic conspiracy idea is a part of what has to be addressed that continually pops up, whether in the QAnon context and politics or our understanding of our of pagans and, and witches that we rub shoulders with in our neighborhoods and in, in American society. So Dr. Frankfurter, I thank you for your book and your time in this conversation and contributing to, uh, to helping us have a better understanding of what's going on. Great, fantastic, thank you. My yeah. guest has been uh, Dr. David Frankfurter. You can find uh, a link to his book and uh, also a link to his uh, academic uh, uh, page there uh, where he teaches his book, Evil Incarnate. I would encourage you to seek it out. Thank you so much for listening and for watching this edition of the Multi-Faith Matters podcast.